everybody. It is, uh, it's great to be together today, and uh, we are in a new series, and I am so excited about this series. It's called 40 Days, and uh, this is such an important series, honestly, for us, not only individually, but really for us collectively as a church, and so super excited that you are here today. My name is Jeff, <clears throat> one of the pastors here at Brookside, and I want to welcome those at our Elkhorn campus this morning. Thank you guys for gathering today. It's great to have you with us. For the guys in Mod 7, we want to welcome you as well. We're super excited for what God is doing in your lives, and it's fun to hear those stories. And then for those that are at home with influenza today, we want to welcome you as well, or maybe you're traveling, but you're watching online. Um, Thanks for tuning in. It's great to have everybody uh, here together. Well, today uh, is January uh, 12th, if you didn't know. And uh, that means that we're not even two weeks into this whole new year of 2020. And I don't know about you, but this time of year, one of the things that I really love about it is it leads us to reflect on last year. It's uh, even just 12 days into the new year, we're still, I believe, looking back and we're reflecting, but we're also even more so now, we're looking ahead and we're saying, okay, God, what could you do in our midst in 2020? Uh, How could this be truly the greatest year of my life? How could we begin a new decade that would be phenomenal. Um, And so in this series, what we're doing is this. We're looking at a habit that we believe we could build a great year upon. You know, when you look back over 2019, there might be some habits in your life that you would say, you know, that habit produced good fruit. I'm so glad that that was in my life. There might be other habits that as you reflect on last year, you go, I need to take that out because that did not lead me to a good place. One of the things we're doing in this series is we're saying, what would be a habit that we see in the scriptures that if we put this into our lives, it could really lead us to build an incredible year upon? And so last weekend, we began and we said there's really two kinds of habits. When you think of every habit in your life, and a habit is just simply a, a, a behavior that you repeat over an extended period of time that produces results, and they're either good results or they're bad results. And what we said last weekend is that we can really break down every habit in our life into one of two categories. We talked first about hoverboard habits, and uh, you know what a hoverboard is. We actually had one on stage, and I decided not to push my luck and to try that again, and so, so we're not doing that, but we have uh, these things called hoverboard habits that we talked about, and one thing about a hoverboard that's definitely true is it's unstable. Hoverboard habits aren't the kind of habits that you want to build anything of value on because it will fall eventually. Um, so last weekend after we talked about hoverboard habits, I got a text from a friend and he said, hey, I want to show you this is my son on Christmas morning after he pulled his hoverboard out of the box. Yeah, I played with that thing. Shout out to Gavin there. Love you, man. Um, but hoverboard habits, right? They're, they're not ones that you want to build your life upon. Why? Because a hoverboard, though they're trendy, though they're fun, they're also dicey and they're dangerous. They're not the kind of foundation you want to build your life on. And then we talked, though, after that category was kind of finished, we then went to the second category, and that was the category of rock habits. Now, a rock habit is something that you can build your life upon. A rock habit is something that's so stable that when you build your life upon it, it produces good fruit. You and I all have people in our lives that we admire. And what's likely true about the people that we admire is that we admire them for the fruit in their lives, but what's behind good fruit in their life is oftentimes, most often, some really good rock habits. Some things that they did repeatedly over an extended period of time, and as a result, we admire their lives, rock habits. And the reason why, church, and I don't know how to say this more uh, passionately than this, is just the reason why I'm so excited for this series is because really, if we are able as a church, collectively, but I think even more important, individually, 
to have this rock habit that we're talking about in this series, if this could become true of our lives over the course of these 40 days, I believe it really would change us. I really believe it would have a huge impact in our community. I believe that beyond that, in our efforts around the world, that it could have a huge impact. And so what we're talking about in this series is this rock habit of prayer. Last weekend, we said that prayer leads us to four things. Number one, prayer affects our priorities. We said, number two, that prayer informs our perspective. Number three, we said that when we pray, what does it do? It awakens us to God's presence. And then lastly, we said that when we pray, number four, it unleashes God's power. That we begin to see God do things that we didn't know were even possible. But that's how prayer works. So to be a person of prayer, it is so significant. It's so significant that Jesus modeled it over and over again. And when people saw Jesus, it says in the scriptures that they were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had such good authority, and they loved the fruit of his life. They were amazed by it. But what was behind so much of the fruit of his life? It was prayer. Jesus had this regular habit. One of his habits was that he would seek God in prayer. He loved the presence of God. He went to prayer often. And I think that's so encouraging for us because if Jesus needed to pray, then I surely need to pray. It says this in Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 16. It says, but Jesus, Jesus often, not just a, a one or two times, but we see this all over. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. If you keep going in the scriptures, you get to chapter 6. It says this, on one of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and it says that he spent the night praying to God. After that, then he picked the disciples, so he spends an entire night in prayer, and then he makes some huge decisions, decisions that actually we feel the impact of even right here today. This was a rock habit for Jesus, and it produced such incredible results. But do you know what stuck out to me this week? It's this little statement that we see in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples, when they would watch Jesus pray, they noticed not only the fruit that it produced in his life, but as they watched his life, they wanted to have the things in their lives that were evident about his life. And so they simply very humbly said this, they said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Now I want you to know this though, these were Jewish men who knew how to pray. These were Jewish men. They, they knew what it meant to pray. But they noticed something about Jesus. They noticed that when Jesus prayed, it was different. He prayed in a different way. The results, the, the fruit of his life was different than anything they had ever seen. And so they said, humbly, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And I love that Jesus did not say to them, you ought to know how to pray by now. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you don't need to pray, I've got you covered. He didn't say, well, God's too busy to hear your prayers anyway, so don't worry. No, no, Jesus gladly, because he saw so much value in prayer that he said, okay, sure, I will teach you how to pray. But what strikes me, and this is so important, don't miss this this morning, and I pray that this will be true of us this morning, what strikes me is their posture. They went to Jesus and they said, Lord, would you teach us? In other words, if I go to someone and I say, would you teach me? I'm admitting I don't know how. And so this morning, church, 
would you join me before we go any further? And let's just simply go to Jesus now. And let's just say, Jesus, whether you have a thriving prayer life or it is kind of a little bit flat or you don't even know what to do, let's go to him now and let's say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? So would you, would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he modeled what it means to seek you and to enjoy your presence. And so, Lord, this morning our prayer is simply this, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Lord, would we have that posture of humility, and then would that fuel in us a desire to pray? God, we want to be the kind of people that we battle for the things that matter the most. God, we don't want to be ignorant that we have an enemy that would love for us not to have an intimate relationship with you. So, Lord, would you teach us how to talk to you? Would you teach us how to enter into prayer? Lord, we love you. As your church now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, when I was a new Christian, I feel like prayer came very easily for me. Uh, I remember being so in awe at my relationship with God that I, would, I was in college, and I would go on these walks, and I remember, I mean, I can remember still where the paths that I would go down, and I would pray, and it was so fresh, and it was so new, and the reason why is because I had this image of who God was in my mind, and that was just crystallized, and I tell you what, prayer as a new Christian, it came so easily, but one of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you found this to be true, is that over the years, I've found actually that there are seasons when prayer is actually pretty hard. There are seasons when I actually go to pray and I feel more distracted than I do in the presence of God. There are times when I feel more like I should pray than, oh, I can't wait to go pray because I've got such important things to talk to my God about, and wow, things are urgent, and, and we really need to pray. We need to talk today, Lord. Also, for me, just vocationally, there are many times I pray publicly. And you know what that produces sometimes in me? It produces a sense of guilt because if my personal prayer life is flat or if it's sparse or if it's just lacking, I feel guilty about that. And here's what I know, and maybe you can relate to this, that there are certain seasons when prayer comes easily and then there are other seasons when prayer actually comes hard. Now, I know it's valuable. And I, what I love this morning is that when we go through Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to do this over the course of these next several weeks, Jesus is going to teach us how can you have a prayer life that's vibrant. Like when you hear, we're doing a series on prayer, how can that in your mind go, oh good, I don't want to miss that. How can we have that? Notice this, Matthew chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, turn there with me now. Look at verse 9. It says, this then is how you should Pray. Now, two things right away when Jesus says that. Number one, think thank you, because Jesus is going to give us this incredible gift. Everybody, please don't miss this. The God of the entire universe is taking a time out, and he's saying, this then is how you should pray. In other words, I, I want to teach you how you, my people, can connect with me. I think we can take that for granted. Don't miss that. What a gift. But secondly, notice this. He's going to teach us what is this prayer that's oftentimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I want you to think of it this way this morning, though. I want you to think of it as a model prayer. Think of it like a map. Now, there was a day, and some of you, you can't remember this day, but there was a day when if you didn't know where you were going, you had to go to a gas station. You mean you had to click on your phone? No, no. 
You had to turn off your car. And you had to walk into a gas station. And you had to say, do you have a map of wherever? And you had to, you had to pay for it. You had to buy a map. And then do you remember these things, everybody? Just if, I know not all of you can, but they were made out of paper. And, and you flipped it up once, and then you flipped it down again, and then you went, and it was so big, you couldn't see out your windshield for nothing with that thing open. But you know what this map would do? <laughs> this map would allow you to navigate a city full of millions of people on one sheet of paper. Now, when you think of this prayer, I want you to think of it as it is a map that's going to help you navigate. Don't think of it this way, though. Don't think of it as, oh, it's a model prayer that I mechanically pray, and it becomes just a habit of what I do. No, that's not the intent. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But notice this. It is a prayer that we don't pray mechanically, but rather we look at it and we go, let's think thematically. What are the things that God, what are the categories that God wants to lead us into? This morning, we're going to look at just two of them. This first verse, let me read it to you. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Now, if you walk out of here today with just two words in mind, just two words, my prayer is that there'll be these two words. Here they are, number one reverence, or number one relationship, number two reverence. These two words, relationship and reverence, know this, as we talk about those two words that really summarize so well what Jesus is going to say right out of the gate when he says, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray, know this, these two words, they're not at odds with each other. Instead, they work so well together. I just have to share this with you. I don't know if you noticed this, but in our 365 reading for this morning, what a God thing. Psalm chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, these two words, think of these two words, David summarized it so well. He, he pointed these two things out. He says this, but I, by your great love, what's that sound like? Relationship. Can come into your house. That's a good relationship. In, then he says this, in reverence, though, I bow down toward your holy temple. Well, what David was saying, and we're just going to expose this today, two things right out of, right out of the gate. There's, there's relationship but also Jesus is, as he's teaching us how to pray, he's going to point to this thing called reverence. Look at that first phrase, our Father in heaven. What I love about how Jesus began this prayer is I think it unlocks the biggest key for us having this rock habit deeply in our lives to build on. Because if you're anything like me, when you go to pray, you don't have a hard time knowing what to pray. Rather, you go to prayer, and you got a whole lot of things to pray about, but maybe in your mind it comes a little bit second nature to think actually about who you are praying to. Yet Jesus knew this. If you get who right, what will follow? And so Jesus, right away, he doesn't say, hey, just bring this kind of request and this kind of request. No, no. He says, no, number one, right out of the gate, he says, I want you to pray. I want you to think about not what, but I want you to think about who. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Now, I think it's true that every one of us, when we hear the word Father, whoever our earthly father was or is, had a huge impact on how we even hear the scriptures how we hear our Father in heaven. And so think about that. What kind of, uh, uh, what, what do you bring to the table with that? 
Maybe you bring very good things, and your earthly father has been very healthy, and so you bring good things to that word. Or maybe you have to ask God, would you redeem some of the things in my past, Lord, because my example of a father isn't going to be what is true of you. We all bring things to the table. But when Jesus says this, when he says, I want you to pray our father, what he's saying is this right out of the gate. He's painting this beautiful picture. Everybody, don't miss this. He's painting this picture that when you think about prayer, he's saying, I want you to think about a relationship that is close. I want you to think about a relationship that's intimate. I want you to think about a relationship that's filled with love. I want you to think about a relationship that is very connected, where I am present. And so right away, Jesus says this. There's a relationship between God and his children, and that relationship is incredibly close. And so we're not just going to call you God. No, no, no. Everybody, I want you to call me Father. Now, I... If you research this, a first century Jew, when they heard this, that doesn't sound shocking, I don't believe to us. But when a first century Jew would have heard this, they would have been shocked. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's really introducing a new way, a different way even, you could say, to think about God. Nearly half a million words are present in your Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Yet know this, only God is only portrayed as Father 15 times in the Old Testament. Now you fast forward and you get to the New Testament, and if you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just the four Gospels alone, we see that God has been referred to as Father over 170 times. Jesus is pointing people to enjoy an unprecedented intimacy with God. And just like a child needs to, just like a child was made to communicate with their father, with their parent. That's just how it's supposed to work. Everybody, we have to know this this morning. We see this throughout the scriptures. You are not just called to prayer. You are not just invited into prayer. You are not just, and we said we don't ever want to motivate you by guilt in this church. You are not, you should never feel, oh, I'm guilty, I just got to go pray because Jesus told me to. No, no, hear this more than anything, and it's right out of the gate. Our Father in heaven, you were made to pray. I mean, think about that. God could have made us anyway, but he designed us to live in relationship with our God. We're made to. Look at Ephesians chapter chapter 1, verse 4. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his his sight. In love, he predestined us as adopt, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. Think about this. When you pray, it's like you're a son or you're a daughter and you're going to talk to your dad. John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who would receive him, it says, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are not just somebody. You are a child of the living God. Galatians chapter 4, because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, the scriptures say, but God's child. Those two words can wreck you in a good way. You are God's child. And since you are his child, it says, God has made you also an heir. 
I love how J.I. Packer put it. He said this, Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. I don't think it's any wonder why Jesus started this prayer this way, because he knew this. He knew that if we understand who we are praying to, it will dramatically impact how we approach God. It will lead us then to pray in right ways if we understand who we're praying to. You have to know you are never bothering God when you pray. You have to know that God is never too busy to hear your prayer. Rather, you have to realize this. When you pray, everybody, God delights in the fact that you prayed. He delights in it. And I don't mean he delights in your prayers once you're all cleaned up and you had a good day. I mean that when you come, as broken as you might be, and you pray, it brings delight to your heavenly Father. I remember the first time I got a text message from my son. And I remember when our son got his phone, we weren't too excited to be in the phone world with our kids, but we were. And so he's 11 or 12. And I remember when I got that first message, I thought, this is incredible. I'm going to be able to communicate with my son, not just in the morning and at night. I'm going to be able to communicate with him now throughout the day. It was so exciting. And then I remember when our daughter got her phone, and then we were even less excited to be in the phone world. But, but she's got it now, and, and so then she, she'll send a text message, and you know what? I don't care where I am. I don't care what meeting I'm in. I look and I read that message. Why? It's because of the relationship. It's because of the relationship. Everyone, you have to know this. When you speak to God, when you speak to God, it's like a parent to a child. He longs to hear you. Don't be motivated to pray because you feel bad because you don't. Be motivated to pray because you have a heavenly father that would love for you two to chat. He would love that. You know, there are times when, if you have a child, there are times when your child will share something with you that you, you can perceive pretty quickly. It's pretty vulnerable for them to share. They're really pouring out your heart to you. And then oftentimes in those instances, I really want to inter interrupt my child, and I simply just want to assure them and say, oh, I'm so glad that you told me, oh, I love you, oh, you know, and I, I just want to stop them and just tell them how I feel about them in those moments. Do you know what I'm talking about? You have to know this. When your heavenly Father hears you speak, his ears are wide open to you. He loves hearing from you. He loves hearing from you. And here's why. No good father wants their child to go find what they need in a place where they're not going to find it. But a good father says, oh, if you'll come to me, I would love to speak to you. I would love to lead you. Before you go down that road, I would love for us to talk. Before you go try to find what you really need and what I really have for you, would you come to me? And when we do, everybody, and that's why we're saying, pick a time, pick a place, make this a rock habit in your life. When we do that, it will allow us to live. I'm not kidding. It will allow us to build an incredible life upon it. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. I attended a funeral on Friday, and it was so inspiring. At one point, six adult grandchildren got up on the, the little stage there and they shared about their grandfather, who they dearly loved. And more than one of them said this, that when their grandfather would finish a conversation with them, he'd end it by saying, I just need to know, is there anything else that I can do for you? 
Think about that statement. That's the heart of a good father. That's a man whose children and his grandchildren felt safe and proud and they wanted to be in his presence. When we know who we're praying to, everyone, it impacts our desire to go to him because our father says this. I mean, he thinks about us like that. Is there anything else that you need? Our father in heaven. Tim Keller bringing this passage to light. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Before you ever utter a word in prayer, know this, everyone. God is already, already favorably disposed toward you. Think about this. Before a child can ever say please or thank you, a parent loves them and pours into them. That's true of us. I want to share this with you. Wesley Hill, reflecting on Jesus' Jesus's instruction here on prayer, he says it like this. He says, go find a quiet place where you can relax, Jesus seems to say. Unclench your fist. Breathe deeply. Let your heart rate decrease. Know that, know that you're already bathed in the Father's love and ask simply for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. That's what prayer should be. Jesus says, pray like this, our Father. And know this, church, every time that we say our Father, what we're doing is we're being grounded in the fact that I'm a child. So every time I approach God with this mindset, he's my father, then what I'm doing is this. I'm proclaiming, I'm declaring, I'm a chosen child of the living God. I've been adopted because of the gracious blood of Jesus Christ. And whoa, was that a high price. And so, wow, my adoption costs a lot. And so I'm a child of the living God. But it's also me saying this. It's me declaring, you are God and I am not. You are wise and I am foolish at times. Lord, you have everything figured out. You know the beginning from the end. And I don't even know what tomorrow will bring. And so God, when I come to you and I say, my father, or our father in heaven, what I'm proclaiming is, God, I need you. God, I'm putting you in your rightful place. In Psalm 18, verse 6, David said it like this, In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to the Lord for help. And from his temple, he, listen to this, he heard my voice, and my cry came before him into his ears. The scriptures are full of this kind of language. God hears you when you pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Let's keep going. Look at the second half. Hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. So we've got our Father in heaven, and Again, what, what word does that point to? Again, just two words I want you to remember today. That points to the word relationship. But now we go hallowed or holy is your name. And that's leading us again. And this one's more of a posture. It's a posture where, God, I'm revering you. Now, let me ask you. If I said to you, how would you describe the word holy? What would you say? If I said, hey, that's holy. What would you say about that? It's likely you might say, well, that's set apart or that's something that's actually sacred, or it's above all, or, or that's revered. Or you might say, oh, if something's holy, then it's ultimate. Or you might even look at the actual word, it's holy, so it's whole. It lacks nothing. If I revere something, I stand back and I don't have words. Think about that. 
our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. And so there's this sense of this posture of, okay, I'm in this intimate relationship with my heavenly Father. He's my dad. Okay, great. I I can get that. But now it's holy is his name. And so it's not just this flippant relationship. No, 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 no. It's holy. So there's reverence. There's awe. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says this, starting in verse 1. Isaiah the prophet, he saw a vision of God. I mean, think about this. He saw a vision of God. And this is what he said in, in the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord, high and exalted. Does that sound holy? Set apart, right? Seated on a throne. And then he says, and then the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim. Those are angels, each with six wings. And with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Everyone know this. If you and I, if we saw these angels we would have gone, that's the most magnificent thing we would have, we, we've ever seen before. It would be breathtaking. Verse 3. And they were calling to one another. So these magnificent beings are calling to one another. In other words, we're getting ready for it. There's something more holy in their midst. Holy, they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is, is full of his glory. It says this in the scriptures that day and night, they didn't stop proclaiming this. So they're saying it over and over again, again and again and again. If you flip then clear to the back of your Bible, you get to Revelations chapter 4. The apostle John, he has a similar experience where he has a vision of God, but then he also has this vision of this group of leaders. And this group of leaders, they're so awed by the holiness of God that it says that they're on their faces before God and they're saying, Lord, you are worthy our Lord and our God. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name on their faces. You know, my biggest struggle this week was trying to figure out how to communicate and even how to mentally grapple with the holiness of God. I really struggled with it. I, just, I couldn't quite articulate it. How do you describe the holiness of God? How do you lead you and I to be a people where the holiness of God is something that we, we stand back and we don't have words for? And so this was helpful to me. One morning I was driving out and I got onto kind of the main road near our home and, and the moon was up and it was full, it was beautiful, the light of it was just, it was actually very bright. Stars were out, the whole thing. And I, in that moment, I just thought about this. I was trying to think about the holiness of God. How do you communicate that? And as I'm looking at creation, it's just amazing. I thought, okay, there's God, and there's all these galaxies clear beyond even than what I can see. I mean, it's, it's just magnificent. But then I thought, okay, but even in the midst of that, like a laser point, God focuses on each and every single one of us. Now, to me, you know what that means? That's beyond words to me. That there's this God that can do the galaxies and, and the stars and the moon and the light and and, and he can keep it all going and, and, and just be our creator. But then at the same time, he can be also one that, boom, right down to you and I. He knows everything about you. He knows your greatest needs. He knows your greatest victories. To me, that makes me stand back and go, God, you're holy. God, you're set apart. God, you're so far above me. I invited a guy to church last week. He politely declined. And he declined by saying this. He said, I'm so disappointed in church people and church leaders. They mess up all the time. And 
I thought to myself, he's spot on. I mean, think about this, everybody. I am very unholy. You are very unholy. We're broken, right? We mess up. We have mistakes. Our paths are marred. But the thing that I'm drawn to about this prayer again is this. this the Lord's Prayer is not self-reflective. The Lord's Prayer isn't pointing us to say, holy is our name. Holy is our name. No, not at all. The attention, and rightly so, is on the holiness of God. And when I understand that I'm broken, this guy was right. When I understand that I'm broken, the holiness of God looks even better. And I can see it more clearly. The holiness of God, though, know this, it should not lead me away from the presence of God, but the holiness of God, it should actually lead me to God because I know the only way that I can be in the presence of this holy God is through Jesus Christ. And so it leads me to God. Two words I want you to have in your mind as you leave. Here they are. Relationship and reverence. Relationship and reverence. I heard it put this week, and I thought this was so helpful. It was said something like this. If you have a relationship without reverence, it leads to arrogance. So if you have a relationship with God without reverence, it actually leads to you being an arrogant person. It leads you to say things like this. Hey, God. Hey, God. Like, oh, buddy. Can you help me out down here? If you haven't noticed, lots going on. Hey, Jesus, my homeboy. It leads to that kind of a, a you know, relationship where there's just, there's no reverence, and so that leads to arrogance. But then there's the other way you can go too, and that's why you have to have both of these things. That's why they're so important together. If you have reverence without relationship, that leads to distance. Because reverence without relationship is the person that says this, God is so holy, he's so busy, he's so big, he's so above me, he doesn't have time. Or, this week was a really bad one for me, I sinned a whole lot, and because I sinned a whole lot, I surely can't bring my stuff to God because he's so holy, and I revere him. And that's why these two together, though, are so powerful, reverence and relationship because when I realize God you are holy and I wed that with the reality though that in your holiness you say call me dad now that produces the foundation of a relationship that I want to go to I don't feel obligated to pray when I think about it like that instead I go okay I have this invitation to an intimate relationship with one that I stand back and I can be in awe of. A.W. Tozer put it like this. He said, put God in his rightful place and a thousand problems are resolved all at once. When I know who I'm praying to, it changes everything. Church, I want to encourage you in this way in week two of this series. And if you miss parts of this series, please go back. This is such an important one for us as a church. But I want to encourage you, we're asking you, would you pray these 40 days? And you can always quit this habit later, but I'm just asking you, would you try to build this year on this rock habit? Would you put this in your mind and in your heart? So, so last weekend we said, hey, would you pick a place and would you pick a time? And so some of you, and I loved hearing your stories, by the way, this week, some of you, you picked a place. Some of you are, you're in the attic now. You gotta, you're doing battle for the things that are most important in your life in the attic. 
Others of you, you're in the utility room. I'm in the storage room. This week, I put up some cards, some of your names on them. I'm praying specifically for these things. It doesn't matter where you go, but would you pick a solitary place? That's the model of Jesus. Would you pick a time, and would you go there, and would you pray? I also asked you to do this last weekend. I said, would you write out your prayers? And the reason why we gave these out last weekend, if you didn't grab one, we got a bunch more as you leave. This is free. Grab one of these little blank journal. But what we're asking you to do is this. Would you write out your prayers so that when you get to day 10, 11, 12, you can look back on day one and you can say, whoa, I'm seeing the faithfulness of God. Because you know what that's going to do? It's going to build this muscle of prayer in your life. And you're never going to want to not have this rock habit a part of you. And so take one of these right out of prayer. But this week, I want you to do something even more specific. So here it is. Before you pray about anything else, would you simply write out this verse, the verse that we've looked at this morning? Would you simply write out, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name? And just ask yourself the question, what does that mean for me this morning? What does that mean for me on this day? Our Father, he's my Father in heaven. I've been wrestling with this all week. It's been so helpful. Our Father in heaven, but, and along with that, holy is your name. We also have these in the, in the back in our lobbies. If this would be an encouragement to you, just to kind of add fuel to your prayer life, grab one of these um, as well. You know, as we close today, we're going to do this. We're actually going to read together this passage from Matthew chapter 6. So why don't you actually do this? Why don't you stand with me now, and, and we're going we're gonna to read this together. Now, I want you to notice, though, something as we put up these verses. Notice that it says, our Father. So I want you to think collectively. This is our great God, like together. Uh, you'll notice words in this prayer like this, forgive us our debts, deliver us. It's this, we are the people of God. And so I want you to even imagine this week as you pray these words, as you write down our Father in heaven, I want you to think there are over a thousand people from Brookside Church all over the city that have picked a place, they've picked a time, and they are praying together with you, our Father in heaven. You know, I don't know about you, I grew up in a church tradition where we prayed this every single week. Every week. It was a great habit, actually. But I also remember this. Over time, it kind of didn't have much meaning for me. But I remember the weekend when I went home and I went back to church with my parents. I had come to know Jesus Christ as a college student. We actually sat in the same spot. Imagine that. Church people sitting in the same spot, right? And we sat in the same spot and we said the same prayer. But I got to tell you, it had a whole different set of meaning for me. Because when I said, our Father... I knew him. And so as we study this prayer, everybody, know this. You can know the God behind this prayer. We're going to read these verses. Watch the screens carefully because you all learn this in about 16 different ways in your own churches, okay? So here it is. We're just going to read these verses, 9 through 13. I'll read this first part. This then is how you should pray. Now say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, right now we just say to you, thank you that we can call you our Father. Holy is your name. Holy is your name. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your church. We thank you that we can gather this morning. And now as we sing, God, might you be honored in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name.